All right, thanks for checking out the Greg's Garage Pod with co-host Jason Pridmore, presented by Bike911.com. Hey, Jay, what's going on, man? G-Dub, how's thing? I'm great. I'm great. How was your little uh, late night, early flight back? Yeah, All it was, that good stuff. <laughs> it, was, was it? It, was, it was uneventful, right? Like it was, we took off out of San Jose on time at 6 a.m. or whatever, and then fly to L.A., which is kind of counter counterintuitive, then a three-hour layover, and then it was delayed a little bit, but it was a direct flight right to Raleigh. So it was just oh, like a 12-hour travel day, something like that. So no big drama. It's just a lot of sitting bad. No big deal. Hey, listen real quick to all our listeners out there. If the audio sounds horrible, it's my fault. But just tell Greg to just get stuffed and not worry about it. It's the content, G-Dub. I'm using my Bose headsets because I left my microphone up in Troy Cook's truck up in Washington when we were at the Ridge because I'm an idiot, and we've already documented that. And I even left my parking pass up there. So Danella gave me a new pass for Laguna so I could park. It's content, G-Dub. No, it's not. The pro- it our is. product it's is content. audio, audio quality. Because if you're yeah, distracted yeah, by yeah. the audio quality, you're not going to listen to the content. But this will be it, all right? Because we're going to get Jason a backup microphone because we're going to get I'll a have new- it sorted. Uh-huh. I'll have it sorted. I'm gonna have Troy. Troy sending me. Troy will send it to me. Mm-hmm. So just you just chill. And if people could just make it through this podcast, the 21 and a half listeners that we have out there, probably it'll be short. It'll be a short podcast because I don't really feel like talking to Jason much anymore. Because I can't take yeah, the audio same. quality. It's driving me crazy. Same. It isn't that bad. Just relax. Why is the music so loud too? It's only loud in your headphones. I fix it in post production. Okay, so don't just, oh, just calm yourself. All right, anyway, this is the podcast. We just got back from WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca where we had a ton of classes, ton to talk about. But before we do any of that, we're going to get into our news presented by Arai. Oh, it worked. That's a little weird sounding, but I'll fix that too. Um, all right, how about this one? The Pro Shade system in Arise is Arise new answer to the internal sunshade by having an external drop-down sunshade as opposed to one positioned internally between the shell and the EPS liner. Impact absorption performance is not diminished. Maximum EPS thickness is retained across the front and the sides of the head where internal drop-down lens and its pivot mechanisms would be located, allowing optimal rider protection. It also allows Arai to keep their snow raining. So go check out AraiAmericas.com for more information. AraiAmericas.com Mm-hmm. All, right, All right, so I hope I, I hope Wheel calls you on that because the music was so loud I could barely hear you. So the audio is really pissing me off because I couldn't hear every word you're saying. <laughs> yeah, but I turned it down in like post production, so everybody who's listening to this saw a nice, heard a nice balanced bit. I literally turned it Did up they? loud to piss you off, and it worked. Thank you. Wow. Then yeah, that's how you're I very do. Welcome. You know what I mean? Yeah, you did a great I gotta job. I got to put you that. right in the mindset of your next golf for the next three days. You know, so the yeah, fact that. Well, over the next seven weeks, you're going to have to do your own laundry. I mean, there's a lot of changes coming your way. I know. <laughs> my mom. <laughs> hey, so my mom's leaving for England tomorrow. And she's giving me the whole, like, you know, because I leave in, like, four weeks for England or four and a half weeks. And she's giving me the old, you know, you got to take the food out of the fridge. And she's got me, like, a, she's got me, like, the whole, uh, you know, post office hold your mail thing. And she's got, I'm like, Mom, you do realize I've lived on my own like before for a long for time, a long time. like yeah. every everything's gonna be okay mom like we've got this sorted so she's she's all excited about headed off to england she's gonna be over there for seven weeks and she's 
yeah, she's just cracking me up though, GW, because I got her the United app and I'm trying to, she's like, I don't know how to do all this. I'm like, mom, just read it. it what does it say? Travel Ready Center. What does it say? Oh, passport. Yeah, you got that. Let's click that. Oh, she's right. Anyway, so she's going to be flying out tomorrow and um, yeah, it's all good. How many years has all it good. been since she's been back home to the UK? Boy, it's got to be, uh, I'd say somewhere between six and 10 wow. that she's doing it. So then I'm going to head over there in the middle of August, right after our Pittsburgh, and then hang out with some family. Got some cool things planned while I'm over there. I'm going to run, I'm going to run her over to, to Ireland for a couple of days. She's never been to Ireland. So just spend some, some time with her and, you know, take her around a little bit. It'll be, it'll be a good time. So right after Pittsburgh, I'll rip over there and then I come back right before Jersey G-Dub. Nice. And then, I mean, it's so so crazy to think that what well, we only got five more rounds to go. It's yeah, it's pretty wild, isn't it? It pretty is wild. wild. We have five rounds that to go wild. or four rounds to go, isn't it? Like Brainerd, <clears throat> up Brainerd. I mean, we yeah, we go up Brainerd way. We go up Brainerd. Brainerd, way. Pittsburgh, Jersey, and Barber. That's four it. rounds. It's four insane. rounds, dude. Wow. Four rounds. Wow, wow, wow. Wow. So it's been almost Correct. ten years since your mom's been back to England, and this is called a professional transition because after twenty years of racing. MotoGP star Andrea Davizioso is hanging it up. See how I did that? A little time thing. It's really I cute. it all together. Yeah, you did a nice... It's very cute. Thank you. He talked on MotoGP.com about what, what his life has been like this year and basically how much fun or lack of fun it is being competitive. So why go on? What are your thoughts about Davizioso and his second kind of retirement thingy? I thought he... I, is he there this year? I can't. I don't know. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I know. That's just mean. Poor guy's struggling. It's. Yeah, but you know, again, I, you know, you come from the absolute best bike and you go to a. I don't want to say. I mean, I guess it's a privateer, you know, Yamaha team. I don't know what he was expecting. I didn't. I, I think as a rider, though, we always expect that we can make whatever it is work. You know, we see Quattro doing what he does and we're like, oh, well, I'm as good as that guy. I can make it work. But. He talks about that, you know, and, and he also says yeah, that, sure. <clears throat> that Morbid, the way he rides and the way Morbidelli ride are two totally, totally separate, you know, like how they how they approach the corners, how much more lean angle Morbidelli has, and entry to the corner speed and all that stuff. And, of course, Davizioso is going to be a guy who's a little bit slower mid-corner and wants to drive out. He was on a Ducati forever, yeah. and that's the way you ride that thing. Yeah. But having two completely different riding styles but basically getting the same result in the same lap time, that's where he's the concern. And he basically said in this thing, too, like, Hey, the Japanese right now are in trouble. I mean, obviously Suzuki's gone, which is our next news item because they confirmed they're gone. Yeah. And then you have Honda and, and uh, Yamaha that are just on the struggle bus. And then you have, yeah. you know, KTM that's had moments and Aprilia's already already on the come up. And, you know, they're they're poised to win a race, another race, a couple of races soon, I think, and Ducati. So it's very, very interesting time. But on the Suzuki thing, Jay, <laughs> so interesting. So obviously there was all this crap going wrong about Suzuki's pulling out of MotoGP, blah, 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 blah. We've been waiting to hear kind of an official word. We kind of heard something, but the press release came out today that they're gone from World Endurance and MotoGP. And I'm going to read you part of the quote because this is from um, Toshihiro Suzuki, who's a representative director and president. And in his quote, he says, this decision means that we will take on the challenge to build a new motorcycle business operation by redirecting the technolo technological capabilities and human resources we have cultivated through the motorcycle racing activities to investigate other routes for a sustainable society. I don't know what the hell that means, but what it really wow. sounds like to me, Jason, is that leaving GP and leaving World Endurance, they're basically taking people from 
the motorcycle division, you know, where they race and develop technology and moving it into another another division, cars, which kind of leads me to ask the question, what is going to happen to Suzuki's motorcycle division? Is it going bye-bye? <sighs> Are they going to sell it? I, I, I mean, it's absolutely crazy right now. But can you imagine? No CERT, no Yoshimura CERT Motul team anymore in World Endurance. I, I can't. When I read that this morning, you know what's really funny, Greg, is I haven't been on I haven't been on any of the websites since before Laguna. It's it's you just get so busy on those weekends and I, I turned the TV on for the first time two nights ago. I hadn't watched any TV, I hadn't done anything. I mean it's you know, you and I we go from the track, we go to a restaurant, we come home, we shower, we go to bed, and that's it. And um when I just read this this morning, you know, you and I were on, on the phone or, you know, on this together and I was like, whoa, G-Dub, World Endurance as well. And then you had, you know, had told me to read the, the you know, the press release, which I did. I, it's bad times. And, you know, you say that Honda's struggling and Yamaha's struggling. I agree, except for one of them's leading the world championship and the other one's lost their best rider, you know, that they have. So it's, um, it is tough times. It's weird. It's so crazy how we go from these times that everything looks so amazing like what if we had a healthy marquez right now absolutely healthy marquez where would this championship be like it would be great if uh if they had a couple other yamaha riders that could get up in the front and a couple honda riders that could get up in the front but those bikes just seem like one-man programs right now don't they it doesn't seem like anybody else can ride them so uh yeah and the suzuki thing to me is puzzling um and you got to think how's this going to reverberate back to our series because right now you know the visual m4 suzuki team have done everything they can everything they can to try to make this bike as good as it can for them and you know we saw richie escalante which we'll get into in a minute ride exceptionally well this weekend that said he was still 17 seconds back he is a rookie he is that but i don't i don't know if anybody that seasoned would be able to do much better than that. And where's the development of that program and that bike going? So there's all kinds of questions. You know it's going to reverberate back to all the domestic championships. Um, you know, one of my very, very good friends rides for the CERT team right now, rides for rides for Team Suzuki Endurance. So and Greg Black. So it's, it's mm. Gintley. I mean, what about Savin Gintley? Gintley now not only loses his test rider job because MotoGP is gone, but he also loses his ride in World Endurance. So, man, there's a lot of craziness going on there. He's a hot commodity, though, don't you think, Sylvain Gintley? Like where he's going to end up if he um, ends up in, you know with another team or whatever? I just think he might be. I just think right now his life couldn't be any better than it is because he's got that you know he's got the MotoGP test job. Yeah, he races for Team Suzuki Endurance, mm-hmm. which is amazing. And then he's got a great TV gig as well. So, you know, for him, his life is is awesome, you would think, right? Yeah. Uh, he's kind of got everything he, he needs to satisfy. He's 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 kind of like Piro, but he's got a TV deal as well. Uh, Michele Piro's deal to me is great. Um, he gets to test World Superbikes, MotoGP bikes, probably testing that e-bike for Ducati he now did, as well. Yeah, he was the initial tester right, for MotoE. Right, Yep, and then he gets to race the Italian Championship, which obviously he dominates, but... You know, it's again, it's a job for him where he's probably getting paid pretty decent money to do all the things he's got across all kinds of different platforms. I'm just sad because Suzuki, for me, uh, personally, 
I wouldn't be sitting in the chair I'm sitting in right now if it wasn't for Suzuki and all the great years I had with them. And so I look back now and I go like, man, it's just, it's a bummer. You know, G-Dub, it's a bummer. And they make so, a great motorcycle. That's the whole thing. They really do. They really Considering do. Considering how much effort they appear to put into making motorcycles, they really do make good ones. I mean, you look at the GSX-R 750 slash 600 that's out. I think the thing hasn't been unchanged since like 09. And it's still a great platform. And obviously with a little modification, it's now, you know, finishing on the podium consistently in the, the of the next generation bikes in Moto America. So yeah, it's it's a shame. They have an ATV division and stuff, but I think Suzuki's probably the smallest, right? You have Kawasaki Heavy Industries. I mean, they make trains and you know, ships and you know, motorcycles, all and kinds of stuff. stuff. Yeah. Suzuki's, yeah. you know, as far as I know, and, <clears throat> excuse me, I haven't, you know, looked at their portfolio lately, but I know their stocks down a little bit, but cars and motorcycles, I think are it, you know, even Kawasaki even makes yeah. like a, um, leaf blowers and weed eaters and things like that. Obviously we know Honda's, you know, from generators to ATVs to UTVs and all that kind of stuff to cars to all, you know, trucks, everything else. So, you know, I just don't know what, what Suzuki's really long-term plan is. I think my guess is they're behind the curve in terms of electric vehicles, and that's where we're headed. You know, if you look at yeah. if you look at racing, where, you know, Ducati is now taking all of their brands and they're building a really fast, you know, Moto E motorcycle and high capability and redesigning and um, batteries and all this kind of stuff, you got to figure that, Electric bikes aren't too far behind for Moto America. You know, those those Energesia bikes are going to need a, a life somewhere. Where are they going to go? Yep. Right? Yep. It's going to be interesting. Plus, yep. you know, Triumph those just announced, what, a couple days ago or today or something. They have a new electric bike, sport bike that's out. So it's the world is changing right now. And, uh, you know, who knows, Jay? I mean, who knows what's going to happen to the Superbike class? Who knows what's going to happen to baggers? Who's, it's There's some changes that are going to be coming our way in the next five to seven years, I think that the sport that we love so much isn't going to look like it. It's going to be great. It's still going to be racing, I think. There's still going to be motorcycles racing. I think what we say is 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 the fastest bike or the the highest technology bike, I think in the in short term is going to change. That's what yeah. I think. Well, it just seems like there's constant of you know Yeah, there is. There's an evolution, isn't every, there? Everything 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 evolves, yeah. Right. And, it but does, it evolves and, faster, doesn't it, Jay? I mean, think about it. What year was what year was the first year your dad won the superbike title? Seventy six. Seventy six. So before nineteen seventy six, which is within our lifetime, your yours or mine lifetime, there was no superbike class. And then the superbike class was invented. And if I remember correctly, your dad won that title, the first title, first two titles or ever, based on really just a couple of races, right? Maybe four or five races. Yeah, I think the first year in 76, there was like four, and then 77 to 78, when he backed them up, he there were more, more. but not like a ton of races, but, but, right? But you got to remember back then, Formula One. Formula One, that was the class. I was trying to think about it, yes. It was where the TZ750s and, you know, all those were, those were kind of the class, right? So uh, Superbike was great, but Superbike was in its, you know, infancy, right? It was It was just starting out. And people could see the writing on the wall back then that these high-powered two-stroke motorcycles that you had to constantly keep rebuilding and doing things to was slowly, I think, kind of creeping out. And the production bikes were kind of the way of the future. And that's, you know, back then you have BMWs, Kawasaki's, 
I mean, you had Moto Guzzi's back then. Mm -hmm. They were racing Superbike, right? I mean, yeah. there were so many different brands and bikes, and that was the that was the whole idea behind it was there will be more manufacturers who can afford to build production street bikes that people are going to be able to buy on the street, and that it would be relatable when you showed up at a racetrack to be able to watch your you know your BMW R90s you know in the hands of of you know my father and guys like Steve McLaughlin and Gary Nix, uh, Gary Fisher and there are some guys along there that I remember as a kid, but they were, it was all relatable, wasn't it? I mean, when you go back and you look at like even World Endurance, since we brought that up in this podcast, back in the day, those guys were trying to race TZ750s for 24 hours. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, then, and so the production side of things, production bikes were obviously a lot more reliable, easy, easier to handle in the sense of power delivery um, and that kind of thing. So production bikes back in the day – that's what started Superbike. I think that there was vision back then, even in the mid-70s, G-Dub, that there was going to come a time where Grand Prix-style bikes, be that high-end two-stroke uh, TZ750s, were, were getting too expensive, too hard to obtain, and especially year-to-year, -year, right, Greg, where it's like got to get a new bike every year. Yeah. I don't think the, product, the production wasn't there for the cost. you know, And so – when you look at that, it goes right down the line of where we're at now. And what makes Moto America interesting is like when you look at the costs and then you sit there and you think of Superbike. They've tried to they've tried to bring the cost down, correct? Correct. They've tried to do that. Then you got baggers that's like yeah. like open open your checkbook. Then you got Twins Cup, open your checkbook. I mean, those classes are not cheap classes by any stretch of the imagination. So are we going to end up going more towards a stock thousand type of rule package in the future of Moto America? We don't know because when you look at what stock thousand is right now, we have Hondas, we have Suzuki's, we have BMWs, we have Kawasaki's. We have a number of different brands that can be competitive in the stock thousand format, correct? So, yeah. It's you know, hard right to say. now, I mean, but, but also with inside of seven inside of super bikes, that's changed. For the years you started, it was 750s. And then all of a sudden, the manufacturers kind of said, well, look, you know, the next evolution, the next step here is going to be, you know, inline 4,000cc bikes. The, the yeah. twin cylinders, they bumped their displacement up, you know, over time. And what I'm saying is, is that it, it would behoove everybody listening to not get stuck in the past because when you, when you think that nothing is going to change, that creates an expectation and a thwarted expectation is the root of all upset. So if you just don't have an expectation, you can never be upset about anything. So the thing is, you also got to think, got to embrace, yeah, go you got to embrace the change coming, G, uh, JP. You know what I mean? You really do, yeah. because it's coming. I mean, if you look at who's who's building sport bikes, we talked about on the podcast that new designation for the R1 and World Superbike homologation being the YZ1000W is an indication that Yamaha might stop selling the R1. If Suzuki goes yeah, away, yeah, yeah. they might stop producing the GSXR 1000. You know, Honda is 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 bringing very few CBR 1000 RR RSP2s to the US. There's very few of those that are coming in. This market, this big displacement market from the Japanese perspective is is starting to, you know, is starting to dwindle. KTM yep. has clearly said they're not going to make a 1000cc street bike ever they're not going to do it at least the guy in charge is not going to do it the middleweight who, stuff who said that you'd have sorry ktm you, you ktm that? got it right okay got it got it so you have ducati out there you have bmw still doing it but but the numbers of these big sport bikes are starting to dwindle so 
if you look at the writing on the wall, what does that mean for a superbike class? You know, the one thing I can say about the future is I don't see, or it's going to be a really big engineering task and it's for the future. But if you look at like what IMSA is doing in on the car side of things, uh, basically in the next couple of years, it's all about hybrids. They're going to be just break all, like all the cars within the next five to 10 years are going to be hybrid race cars and more manufacturers are jumping in. Why? Because they can use racing as development and it's going to be very good for the hybrid section segment. Yeah. Problem is with motorcycles, Jay hybrid, I believe, I don't believe, but I mean, I think very difficult to get two systems to fit on a small motorcycle at this point. It seems agree, like it's either yeah. electric yeah. Or it's going to be internal combustion engines at this point right? for the foreseeable right. future. So there's got to be enough money in motorcycles to take that technology and to develop it over there. And that's why you're seeing Moto E or you're seeing Moto GP at this point. But anyway, listen, we got off topic. Um, you know, we should probably. Yeah, let's get let's get to some racing. All let's right. get to some racing because we were at we were at Laguna Seca this weekend. Saw a little bit of the changing of the guard as far as the points championship goes. I would say GW was one of the most fun Laguna weekends that I've had in a few years. Uh, it was very, very busy for us, obviously. I didn't really get to get in the pits and see as many people as I would have liked. I had a lot of friends and people that were there at the track that I just didn't get to get down and see. But race one, really, you know, when you start looking at qualifying, it really didn't paint the picture. I stood up on turn one for free practice one, and Jake Gagne again unloaded out of the box, right out, right out of the truck, rather, really, really fast. Um, Greg, on his second flying lap, he was within a second of the outright lap record. And so, we you know, it's funny because you'll hear riders within that day say, oh, the track was a little slippery this morning and this and that. But Jake Gagne doesn't get phased. He just goes out and rips it. But in qualifying, it was Matthew Skultz who was able to lay down a lap time with Petrucci second and Gagne third, which I can't remember the last time we saw him any further back than first or second. But Gagne was third uh, in qualifying. And in the race, Greg, he did his normal stuff. He hammered the start. He took off. He got out front. Camp Peterson and Petrucci chased. And what a last lap that was uh, that we'll get into in a minute. First race results for Ganya Peterson, Petrucci on your podium. Then a great ride by Escalante. Matthew Skultz, who was struggling a little bit all weekend in race trim, ended up fifth. Your next five were Barbara Jacobson, Kyle Wyman, who was in for Kyle Lewis, uh, for, for uh, Jake Lewis, sorry. Uh, Bryce Prince ended up ninth and Travis Wyman 10th in the second race. It was Gagne and and Petrucci flipped the script on Peterson this time. Gagne, Petrucci, Peterson, Escalante again with a great fourth. And you know what was good about that, G-Dub, is the second race was quicker and Escalante stayed the same distance back. He was 17 seconds back in both races. And, um, you know, his best lap time to Gagne's was less than a second. Uh, Again, this goes back to... You know, those guys on the Vision Wheel M4 team are trying hard. Hector Barber would round out the top five in this race. The next five, again, were Jacobson, Kyle Wyman, and Travis Wyman with Corey Alexander. And Dave Anthony ended up 10th in that race. Uh, my biggest pulls from the weekend, I think, Greg, when we start to look at it, are I really felt, and you and I discussed this, I really felt somebody <clears throat> had to beat Ganya here. I felt like this is where Petrucci had to beat him. I felt... He hasn't won a race since Atlanta. Gagne is giving, has given a chunk of points to these guys at the beginning of the season. Obviously, Coda didn't go well. He did get a third there in race two, I believe is what it was. In Atlanta, he threw a race away. At Road America, 
his contenders beat him straight up in those kind of crazy conditions that we had. So there was a bunch of points that he has kind of given away, but now he's on that tear. He's on that roll. I'm going to get into this post press press conference that I saw after race two in a minute, but I just don't think Gagne's, I don't, Greg, I mean, is there anybody that you would sit there and put your money on the table to that's going to beat him outright if Gagne's still finishing these races upright with no mistakes? No, I mean, the the only thing I can see at this point, because the refined package from last year continues to be more refined this year, is going to be uh, extenuating circumstances like weather, right? Like, whether if if it rains at New Jersey... Forget it. Who knows? That, yeah, Correct. Who, I mean, literally, who knows? You could see Corey Alexander win it on a stock thousand bike, like we saw at 100%. Barber. You know what I mean? With with Skultz, with do Matthew Skultz, right? Like yes. you, you, or or yeah. anybody really. I and mean, you can see Max Flinders win the thing. I mean, who knows? So be, beyond, those, I hope it doesn't rain there. Oh, oh no, dude. I know. I, I hope for everybody because the surface is absolute trash. But um, that's what I'm saying. Un- unless something like that happens, I I just don't see it. If if we go to if we go to the next race at uh, at Brainerd and we have nice weather and everything kind of goes according to plan, it's a tough one. I mean, pfft. did you watch? Did you watch the press conference? Uh, race uh, two, run? I did not. Okay, it's pretty funny. You got to go back and watch it because they Petrucci actually had me laughing, and he had Gagne and, and Peterson laughing because he started talking about the next race at Brainerd, mm-hmm. and he's going, uh, you know how you, you know how you, you. G-Dub is, G-Dub honestly is the king of impersonations. If you ever get G-Dub to, you know, he's good at it. So he's doing his whole, uh, Petrucci. And he's like, Brainerd is, um, like a track I've never seen before. Like I've never been to a place like Brainerd. And it was actually, he was actually trying to be very diplomatic and politically correct about it. Um, you know, it's just so funny is I don't even think Brainerd's the worst cat track on the calendar myself uh, um and i've ridden all of them now there are aspects of brainer that i really 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 like and yeah there's a couple that i dislike a lot just like the guys that we know are racing it but without that being said it's it, ganya doesn't care no he doesn't care That's... like he's lining up and he's going to be ripping and again he's going into it like not caring um so, anyhow, when you look at it, I'm with you. I don't see people beating Gagne. If it rains, I see people possibly beating Gagne uh, at any of these tracks if it rains. Petrucci's amazing in the wet. We know that. And so is the bike, um, right? The electronics. So is. Mm-hmm. But here's the problem. I, you know, I'm, I can't predict the weather. I don't think it's going to be raining and rained in two weeks. I don't. Um, but like when we get back into September, it can rain at Barber and it can rain in Jersey. We've seen that. Okay. Um, but by then the championship might be out of touch. Well, I mean, we have what we have eight races left. If Petrucci, I mean, the, 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 the biggest factor in this championship is, is Yamaha in general, meaning Yep. If the Westby team can figure Skultz out, he has speed enough to put himself between Gagne and Petrucci. And I'm not giving Gagne every race win, but if things go the way they're going now, you know, it makes a lot of sense. It's about getting yeah. that points gap between those two because I, let me look at the at the points championship really quickly. 
So what we have is, yeah, so you have Gagne is only three points ahead of Petrucci and Cameron Peterson's 40 back. Cameron Peterson is another one that you have to look at. He's been a lot quicker uh, with less effort. He's doing great. He's yeah, doing he's absolutely doing. freaking great. Yeah. And he yeah. can work with his team teammate to try to put himself. And, you know, obviously with, if you look at eight races, Jay, and let's just say that it keeps going, it goes Gagne, Another Yamaha and Petrucci, which which we know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's just so so whether Campbell yeah, yeah. or Skultz, that's nine points. So when do you wrap up the championship if you keep adding those nine points? So you go nine, you go to eighteen. After four races, you go to what? Thirty six. Thirty eight. Thirty eight. No, thirty or thirty six. Thirty six. Right. Thirty six. So then you yeah, got to look at yeah. that and you say, okay, so yeah, there's the possibility if that scenario plays out that Gagne could theoretically win that championship before we get the barber, I suppose. Um, yeah. It's, you gotta have 50 points up. I, I look we're we're playing real devil's advocate. Basically what I'm saying and what you're saying too, is that it's whether or not related, if it's dry, it's going to be hard to beat the guy. He's, he's really, he's but, just, I, but I'm convinced and, and, this championship's yeah. going to go to the last race of the year. Now there might be oh, I agree. 20 points I agree. or something, you know what I mean? Or something like that, but it's definitely going to barber. Unless something crazy happens, like Petrucci falls off and scores zero point, you know, and does camp. Right, but I, I mean that. But that's what we're saying. Basically, what we're saying right now is Gagne is on a roll. He's kind of steamrolling things, and that's the way it is. Now, let's talk about this incident between Petrucci and Cam Peterson at the end of race one, where even in my video call, it's funny because I don't even remember half the things I say when we do our our <laughs> our commentating. It's kind of one of those things that you're kind of doing things in the moment. But one of the one of the things was G Dub is I remember a lot prior you you predicting that the move is going to come up in the corkscrew and I you know you're 100 percent right and but we both agreed on the last lap when we came out of turn six that he was a little bit far back and when they were going up into the corkscrew I said it's going to be a hairball move to make this pass and it was I loved it I thought it was great that Petrucci had a shot I think it was great that Petrucci showed that he's not going to go down without a fight there's been a lot of craziness going on with him at the beginning of the year. Then all of a sudden, at Ridge, he comes out and says he wants to stay in the States again next year, which surprised a lot of us, I think, not doing Paris to Car. I liked it. Now, the thing I loved more than anything. You're so old. Jesus. You're so why? old. It's why just the Dakar. They haven't, it hasn't been Paris to Dakar. And... Oh, Paris to Car. Sorry, the Dakar rally. I'm sorry. Yeah, shit. <laughs> you know, when I said it, I was like, Paris to Car, what am I talking about? Yeah, anyways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, anyways, see, again, doesn't matter. Um, you can edit that out, right? You'll just edit that out. Oh, hell no. no. I'm leaving that one in. Guaranteed. Yeah. Such, such, such a dick. Anyways, um, <laughs> but, dude, it was so nice. No race direction got involved. There was no stupid little scroll across our screen that we don't ever see anyways on our telecast, yeah. which is great. But it's like, let the boys race. Like, let them handle it after the race. So Cam fought back. I thought it was awesome. Um, we're in commercial break. We get to hear the shotgun microphones from the cameras, you know, while everybody's yeah. at commercial break. Right. And we heard all good yeah. things. Did we not? It was like, yeah, it was like, it was like Petrucci was very human in this case. I thought like, I don't know how it would have been if the shoe was on the other foot. I don't want to go there. I don't know how it would have been if Cam would have done that to, to Danilo. I don't know. But in this particular case, if you watch the body language of Danilo going into the corkscrew, it was like, 
Elbows and knees out, going over the paint on the inside. He knew where he was for in impact. that case. Oh, it was prepared Correct. for impact, hundred percent. And he knew, and and he knew, and I thought his I thought his post race interview was a was great when he said, uh, "I look over and I see that Cam was still." It made me very happy to see Cam still on his bike. It made me very unhappy to see Cam passing me back. <laughs> so, but it was it was done very very well by Danilo. I thought Cam handled it well. Um, all in all, because it is racing, man. You're never, ever, when two guys are going or two racers are going for that same exact piece of pavement, it's going to happen. It does happen. And you can't cry about everything all the time. And you want to see good, tight racing. And I think across the globe, Moto America came out looking really good in that case because our race direction, our bosses, do not want to be the reason why races get decided after the checkered flag. And I thought, I thought the whole thing worked out well. And I didn't really get your full idea on what you thought about it, but, but I feel like you're probably along those lines. Yeah. I like the consistency of Petrucci in the sense that Cameron Peterson said, I knew he was going to try something right. Mm -hmm. Like Cam knew it was coming. It, it wasn't. It didn't catch him by surprise. He knew it was coming. Cam doesn't know that Petrucci is two tenths of a second behind him when they come out of turn six, right? He just knows mm -hmm. he's You're there right. somewhere. You're right. Petrucci's body language said punt. Cameron Peterson. I kind of alluded to this on the broadcast. I think he taught himself something about himself, which I think is really important. Like, hey, I'm not going to roll over and take this. I've done that too many times. And he fought back. I think the thing to remember is just because there's green paint on the surface doesn't mean we adhere to green paint. There is green paint at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca for a reason, because of the level of competition they have at that in car racing and all that kind of stuff. But we don't go to tra every single track that has green paint. We don't have long lap penalties. We don't have it is back to or it is the way I feel it should be. It is not a black and white issue. There's not sensors on the side of the track that say, sorry, you're one millimeter 100%. over. We're going to dock you your stuff. There's common sense there. I agree. There's contact. Yeah, well said. Cameron, and, and Jay, think about this. This is the one thing that I thought was kind of interesting. Had had something, had this been a GP race, what is GP going to do? If you say that incident where Cam Peterson had no choice but to stand it up to be safe, to not crash, cause a red flag, I mean, all the things that go along with it, and run through that gravel, run off in the green, come back onto the racetrack and still fight for position. If someone had said, nope, you can't do that anymore. Cameron Peterson, you're going to, even though you got hit, you're going to have to go to the back of the grid. How does that make the... Or absolute, get a five-second penalty or something stupid. Or whatever. Yeah. How does that make the yeah. iconic uh, Casey Stoner, Valentino Rossi incident up in the corkscrew and something similar happened? Does that completely erase that and say, well, had that been... It, race today that would have never happened and because that was not only did that happen on the corkscrew that happened for the rest of the championship right and, and it's yeah, but like GW, that's the whole problem what you just said there is it's like you look things change they evolve it's it's the best part about listening to that ricky gervais uh the, his latest comedy his comedy thing on netflix yeah. is is yeah is that you cannot how did you know 10 years ago what you were saying 10 years ago is going to offend people 10 years down the road. Like, how do we know that you and I talking right now isn't going to offend some people 10 years from now if they were to listen to the podcast? The thing is, you can't change history. Freddie Spencer 
like cleaned out Kenny Roberts um, <laughs> in Yugoslavia when he won his first championship. I mean, when I say he cleaned him out, he pushed him off the track. Pushed him and, off the track, and, as, as I heard from Kenny, and, by the way, which is a whole other. If you talk to Kenny, he's still pissed off about it. Oh, yeah. And so so the thing you got to remember is is things change. You and, and when that video was posted of Cam and Danilo going through the corkscrew, obviously all the reflection came back on Casey Stoner and Valentino Rossi. Look, at the end of the day, I thought the the way they handled it was great. If you watched our Junior Cup race over and over and over, these guys were going onto the green paint coming out of turn 11. And I I actually meant to ask you, like, is there anything going on that we don't know about there? Because race direction just stayed out of it. They let them race. There was nobody complaining about anything. There was nobody saying anything bad, as far as I found out after. And it was just... It was just good racing all the way through the weekend. And um, I thought that those two guys swapping on Sunday was great. It seemed like the camaraderie between the top three were good. I think that there was some damage done to Petrucci's reputation at the beginning of the year. He seems to be a little bit more, I think he's still very, very hungry to win the championship and give Ducati what they want. Now, the thing I I, I read into when I listened to Danilo's post-race press conference, when they do the one with Paul Carruthers there, uh, that was very interesting to me. He sees, he can see exactly what I felt, not at his level, but he can see exactly what I felt riding the the Richard Stamboli, you know, the R1, the attack bike, because he sees where Gagne can just jump out in front of him as far as grip, as far as rideability, and those kind of things. And that's what he's got to fine-tune on the Ducati still. They've got to find a way that when he's got grip on the rear – that he can utilize the grip without having front chatter. He's got to find a way that because he can't use that he can't use a stiffer tire, can't use a harder tire G dub because he doesn't he doesn't have the grip at all. And at the beginning of the day, you have to go with Gagne at the start. You can't just give the guy four seconds and let him go because he's going to just control it from that point on. So I know the things that that Danilo in his brain, if you watch that press conference, I think I know the things that he needs to get better at. And the team needs to make a bike a little better for him. I think that we're at the point with Jake Gagne that all hope is lost after the first lap. Meaning, I agree. you have to put yourself in front of Gagne to disrupt his rhythm on lap one. If you can't do that by the end of lap one, it feels like all hope is lost because he controls the pace. He can have his corner speed. He can have his... Because he's going a little bit... It's a Yamaha, okay? He needs corner speed, you know. But he is so good right now. At getting the thing turned, and I talked to Cam Peterson about this at length on Saturday, and he gave me a bunch of numbers, statistical numbers of looking at the data about how much faster Cam P is mid-corner speed. But the fact is, he can't get it turned as quick as Gagne. Gagne's disciplined enough now to slow the thing down, get it up on the meat of the tire, and get into... You know, what you can call a safety zone, you know, as much as you can on those dangerous bikes, but mm-hmm. in terms of the meat of the tire and the drivability, and you don't get into that zone that Jake Lewis was in when the bike kind of broke loose at that certain angle and then caused him to high side. So, you know, right. and, and same thing, kind of the same thing, I think, with, with Escalante. So it's very tricky right now because you have two things in racing that are really critical. First and foremost is, can I do a lap time? How do we get this bike to go around the racetrack as fast as possible? And then the second thing is, <clears throat> while we're there, how do we get this bike to stay, maintain that pace and still be raceable against that particular rider who's dominant? 
Yeah, I agree. And you know, the other thing that Ganya has going for him in this case, G-Dub, is that let's say that you get off the line second or third behind Gagne. The problem you've got if you're second is the guy in third knows that Gagne is trying to get away. He wants to make a pass. The second that the second and third place guys engage, that's it. You've, you've essentially created that 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7, 0. 0.89 gap to Gagne. I mean, idealistically, if you feel you have pace and you get a bad start, you're hosed because if you don't go get right on the rear tire of him at the beginning, it sure does make it more difficult if you've got to go past people. And in both cases, it's, you know, we saw Danilo, actually, I think he might have missed a gear in race one coming out of turn two. And Cam went up underneath him into turn three, but that was the gap that was created. Um, and so, look, for these guys, it is, it's a tough battle. You got a kid right now in Jake Gagne who's just riding incredible, doing a really, really nice job. As usual, he's not phased by anything. Whether he was picking himself up out of the gravel at Atlanta after the first race or whether he was winning on day two in Atlanta, the attitude was the same. We're just going to go race by race. We're going to get our shit together at the next round. Next race, my team works great. When you have confidence in your crew and your team, it makes a big difference. Let's throw a word out. Richie Escalante, G-Dub. From the get-go this weekend, I went up and watched him in the corkscrew. I watched all. I went up. I walked up to the corkscrew, G Dub, for the first time in years, and um, I got to to get a little idea of like who looked comfortable, who didn't. Richie Escalante looked comfortable from the start. Like this is a guy that I thought I think has done a really nice job this year. He hasn't got some of the results he's wanted, but man, he looked good on Friday right off the bat, and I think it showed in his two fourth-place finishes. They were a little bit boring races for him. In the sense that, you know, in race two, he was ahead of Hector Barbera by, you know, by seven seconds. He had six seconds on Skultz the first day. Uh, Escalante did a really nice job. He goes quicker day two. The race, like you mentioned earlier, was about two seconds faster for Gagne than it was the first day. Same thing for Escalante. I think it was about two seconds quicker for Escalante. So he went, you know, he matched the gap speed between himself yeah. and, and the race leader. So that shows progress to me. Um, you know, the, I mean, I think pretty much the day itself was pretty, you know, in terms of temperature and track temp and all that and wind and all that stuff. I thought, I thought Saturday actually might've been slightly nicer day. So the fact that it went yep. quicker was something, but yeah, I like what Richie's doing. Jay is Laguna. Cause I haven't watched Richie ride too much. But yeah. is, is Laguna, can you ride a superbike m- closer to a 600 at Laguna than you would at some of the other tracks? Like uh, it's, Road America, for instance. you got to ride a big bike like a big bike, right? It, take advantage of what, yeah. what is important on the big bike, which is acceleration. But do you think that it's a Laguna thing for Escalante, or do you think that Escalante has been able to make a step? I think it's both. Uh, it's easy way out, out of that at that question i think it's a little bit of both but but that said greg it really is laguna is a flowing racetrack it's it flows that's the whole thing you've got to be able to roll around that place and flow around that place i was on the phone with Corey alexander on saturday night or i'm sorry friday night talking about a couple of things before saturday morning we spent 20 or 30 minutes on the phone just thinking about ways and stuff that we could do stuff and things and the biggest thing that we discussed, G-Dub, is getting the bike slowed down. Like, don't keep charging 
11. Don't charge the corkscrew. Don't charge turn two. Yeah, you want to get into corners deep, but there's a difference between getting in the corner deep to where it's controllable and getting in there and charging to the point where you can't get the bike stopped to where you have to hold the lever on for longer. So there were a few specific places. And what was really funny about it was the next morning, Corey went out and went like eight tenths quicker or something like that. And he says, I worked on slowing down, which is so counterintuitive to what you think that we're trying to do when you're racing a motorcycle. It's like fast everywhere, speed everywhere. Um, but I, I would agree with you on this one. I think that Laguna is a little bit more of a flowy type of track than anything else. As I remember when I was racing at Laguna, riding whatever that you douchebag want to say oh one of the one of the nice. things about laguna and i think you're saying the same thing was the one thing i did notice at this race weekend too is the tendency to turn in too early it, and, and turning in too early basically means you feel like you're going to turn the bike in where you think you should but wasn't laguna always a track especially in the flat sections where like if you wait a beat and you turn it in a little bit later that it made a difference almost like late apexing corners I think turn three, you could say that about a little bit. Turn three is so tricky, though, and I really think it depends on a couple of different things because, like, in our super sport categories, I was hearing people coming out of turn two, upshifting and then backshifting. Some team, some bikes were upshifting and then leaving it in third and trying to roll through turn three and third. So turn four, though, you actually got to get a little bit committed for because it's such a faster type of corner. Um, so it, the further you kind of hang it down the track before you tip in, if you miss your tip in point, then, then it makes you wide at the apex of four, which makes things really miserable. So makes you late on the gas and that kind of stuff. So, but yeah, I mean, Laguna just is a different type of place, um, in certain regards, but again, you've got to be able to flow that place. Like you can't go charging into turn six. Cause if you miss your marker going into six, especially with that dip, um, we saw a lot of guys this weekend, uh, get compromised when they got to the bottom of that little dip before you go up the hill. And um, it just makes it it makes it difficult. Um, a, a few more things. Hector Barbara, again, this weekend, ends up going 6-5. I thought he did a nice job. P.J. Jacobson goes 7-6. Um, it's weird because when you watch those two guys ride, they're both riding obviously very hard. PJ coming down the corkscrew on Friday was pretty spectacular to watch. I think you and I were even texting each other during that, and I was like, "Wow!" Like, but he was uh, he was six seconds behind, eight seconds behind his teammate on the second day, and he was only what was he, Greg? Five seconds back the first. So Hector Barber definitely picked things up. Kyle Wyman ended up seventh the second day, eighth. The reason why we see these little jumps is there's one guy missing who. Kind of had a bummer weekend. That was Matthew Skultz. Pretty much since the Ridge G-Dub, Matthew struggled at the Ridge, came to Laguna, struggled more there. That pole position was masked a little bit, I think, because of the tire in qualifying. Um, but, man, race pace, that first day, the Westby bike just didn't look like its normal self. The second day, he ends up tipping off in turn five. I couldn't believe how little damage was done to that bike, but there was just enough. I think, he, I think he broke a clip on or bent a clip on to where he couldn't continue. But, man, we're going to look back at the end of the year and go, this, these last two rounds are really the place, places where Matthew, uh, unfortunately, I, you know, I don't want to say completely eliminated, but kind of hurt his championship hopes going forward. A couple rumors that were going around the pits that are not true, bad tire for Skultz or something about a broken tire warmer. An investigation, and it really has to do with, a team member making a mistake. 
you know? So tire yep. wasn't bad. The tire warmer was fine. Everything was, was fine. But you know how it goes, Jay. I mean, rumors love to fly around a small community. It doesn't matter if it's racing or archery or I'm sure golf too. But yeah, there was some garbage going around there. But after the questions that I asked and the people that I spoke with, the conclusion that I've come up with is pretty much the answer that I got, which is a team member made a mistake and it's on Saturday. It's going to be addressed. And that's why the part of the reason why the bike looks so much better on Sunday because yeah. it was just yeah, a, a, well, an, error, an error with stuff. But anyway, so that's that's super bike. Yeah. Um, and I agree with you. I think, you know, as Skull slips down to fourth and the championship is now five behind Cameron Peterson, that this could be the chunk of time for Skulls. You know, really, you have to go back and look at the last five races, Jay. Um, when we were at, what, Road America race two, he only scored eight points. So it's been yeah, like... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? So it's a it's, bummer. It's, it's a bummer. It's been a downhill slide. Hopefully, they'll be able to, to pick it back up. Now, let's go to Super Sport, where Josh Heron wins both of them. Uh, not without drama after race one. Just some really good, good you know, juicy uh, TMZ stuff. Ty Scott ends up finishing second in both races. Rocco Landers in third. Kevin Olmedo in fourth, both races. The difference is Corey Ventura ends up fifth as a fill-in rider on the Vision Wheel M4X Star Suzuki on race two, where Benjamin Smith had finished in fifth on race one. Then it was Luke Power, Jarrett Desaney, Corey Ventura. It was eighth in race one. Carl Sotis and CJ LaRoche. Where on race two, you had Thermiotis in sixth, Kolstad in seventh, and then you had LaRoche, Soltis, and Benjamin Smith was uh, 10th after, I think he, f- he fell off, right? Did Ben He Smith. did fall off, yeah. Yep. I mean, what yep. can you really say? Uh, you know, Ty Scott kept it close in race number one, and then late in the race, Josh Heron takes a look over his shoulder between four and five. Ty Scott seemed like he was waiting for it, had his hand already off the bar and gave him a quick wave, and then Josh afterwards takes checker flag waves back and taunting which was great. I mean, that's the one thing, but then he kept it going um, on the cool down lap. And I think Heron's taking some heat for that, as you would expect. Uh, you know, people bring in age into it. You know, Josh is in his 30s, Ty Scott's 16. But I can tell you this I think, I think Josh does it to get a rise out of people and out of Ty Scott. And Ty Scott is just not a fan of Josh Heron. Like, there's that we have a legit full blown rivalry here, JP, that I love. Yeah, but I just don't care. I mean, like, I, when I say I don't care, I'm glad you love it. I just think it's it's cool to do, like, you know how many times that I've looked back and seen somebody wave at me or whatever, and I don't mind that Josh did what he did. Like, comes across the line, does it, then he just continues to do it after the warm-up laps. He's just trying to get those views and all that, which is fine if that's what he wants to do. It's, it's, it's fine. As a racer, I think Heron's doing what he needs to do. You, I don't like the narrative of he's out there beating up on kids. Look, Josh Heron doesn't have a say in who they put on bikes to race against him. He's out there racing and, and people saying about like, oh, he's bumped down to a lower class. Well, come up with the money and give him a chance to go ride a different super bike. He wasn't happy with being on you know the attack bike last year. Um, couldn't have fun or however he wants to describe what his racing is all about. He was on the best bike in the paddock and he wasn't enjoying it. And so if he wants to be on a different superbike, that's his only case. But right now for him and his career, this Ducati V2 was the bike that he could be on. And he's in a place and a team where he's happy and comfortable, it seems. And yeah, he's beating up on guys that are half his age. Um, 
maybe not quite half his age. What is he? Is, how old is he? Thirty-four. I think Josh I is thirty-four. So it would be. Yeah, I'd have to look it up, but it doesn't matter. Josh doesn't have a play on who he's racing against. He's going to go out there and do the best job he can. I think on Sunday he was never pushed. I, I sorry, honestly Josh. believe thirty-two. Thirty-two. Sorry, Josh. So so he so so he is half the age of you know, or or Ty Scott yeah, is half, half his the age. age yeah. So. But the thing is, is that it's not up to Josh to figure out who he gets put across. The thing that just drives me crazy is, like, let go of the mile an hour. Who gives you shit, okay? it's it, Okay, it's four mile an hour. Got it. If I was to go ask every super sport rider on that grid, if you could go jump on a bike with the crews that, that whatever rider you want is, is on that crew uh, or with the crew, I don't know too many riders that wouldn't say they'd wish they could ride that Ducati. The Ducati is a great package and you could talk about mile an hour and all that you want. Okay. Yeah. It, I was watching it. G-Dub. It was three to four mile an hour up the front straightaway. But at the end of the day, it's like there are going to be different advantages to different things all of the time. You got, what's he got a 70 something point lead. Uh, yeah. Right. In the like championship. 70, and, uh, 81 now, 81 points, 81 points. Like, dude, just get off it. You're riding great. Like stop whining i just get so sick of it dude all the all, all the whining about this bike well and, and, bike. and look and it's the I first do, year it's I, the first year of the rules hold on it's the first year yeah. of the rules and i know what's going to happen when i say what i'm saying is guys on the yamahas are going to go well 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 look heron's bike is just as fast as the yamahas the yamahas were coming across the same speed as heron's so there's bigger fish to fry you got to go beat josh heron that's the person you got to beat Josh Hayes was able to do that this year. He was able to ride That's with Heron, if you remember. Yeah. That's the point. Okay? So, like, the thing is, is that if a GSX-R750 was running away with every one of these races and winning, then there's something really to maybe be looked at. That said, it's not the case. There's a Ducati winning. And Heron's doing a really good job with his team and, and making that bike good. And so... Will they will they make changes? Maybe they will. Maybe they'll make changes next year. Maybe they'll have some other allowances. I don't know. I don't write the rules packages. But the Yamahas are finishing. How far back were they, GW? Because I've got Junior Cup pulled up for the for our next segment. Uh, how, Rocco, how far was, back Rocco was five seconds behind in race number one and three seconds yep. behind in race two. Okay, so there you go. So it's it's five seconds and three seconds. It's it's there's a guy up in the front of that pack right now, and I know everybody feels like there's a disadvantage somewhere. But just well, this, get on this with and it. this is just, my point, dude. Josh isn't the only one complaining about what's going on in Supersport, right? Like everybody's whining and moaning about it because this is—it's the nature of racing. It's like, oh, we know that they have the ability to make these changes to the motorcycles because they have this balancing system. So balance it right now. Balance it right now, but don't balance my stuff. But I just want you to balance their stuff. But mm -hmm. in talking to Scott Smart two races ago, Scott made it abundantly clear that they're trying to keep the characteristics of the motorcycles to give them certain advantages here and disadvantages there based on the character of the motorcycle. And where Scott said he made a mistake in BSB was trying to turn a Triumph, you know, 765 triple into a Yamaha R6 last year. And it really didn't work yeah. for the Triumph. It's not the way it was designed. So he freed some things up and took some other things away. It's called balancing. It's not saying yeah. we're going to make every motorcycle act the same and be the same. The yeah, bottom line is, is go true. chase down Josh Heron. Go chase him down. Yep. 
The rules are the rules, and racing yep. is about elevation. Okay, like like what do you want? You want people to just hand you money so you can go superbike racing? Is superbike not a class to to elevate to to figure out how I can get budget, how I can get good personnel, how I can get electronics? Instead, people are like, "Wah!" Everybody gets a trophy. You need to take away electronics to reduce the cost. You need to take away forks. Eh, really? What's the most expensive part about racing right now? Travel is the most expensive part about racing. <laughs> and, Fix that problem. And people. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah, travel, travel and people. Because you got Fix that people. Problem. People. People's what costs so much money because you got to do the travel and look at the at, at the end of it. It's like it's I look if you go across the board right now and you go, what series doesn't have kind of a dominant bike or whatever like World Superbike right now? You got Batista. You don't think that that paddock knows that the Ducati is the fastest bike in the on the grid? Come on, like, 2019. Everybody was like, it's a GP bike with blinkers and headlights. What are we supposed to do? Yeah, and and when you listen to Johnny Ray or Top Rack speak, it's always like we've got to improve our package. We got to get our bike better. Let's continue to work forward. Let's we've got a hassle and we got to do this. Like there just is a there is a structure there where you have to just get on with racing. Do the best you can every week. Everybody can see what's going on. And I can honestly say that that right now the Ducati has proven to be the dominant bike in that class. And it doesn't matter why. It doesn't matter who. What bike has won the most races? Ducati. In our series? Ducati. Ducati. How many Ducatis are on the grid? One. <laughs> so which bike do you think is the most dominant bike on the grid right now? That's what I'm saying. But in World Super Sports, yeah. it's not. Like the, the, you know, it, it, and that's the thing. What, what I'm saying is, is my biggest thing right now with people is stop trying to win your race with the rule book. Just go race. It is what it go is. Race. Let the people that have the job, there's nobody playing favorites. And this is the thing that really is driving me crazy. So many teams in our paddock right now have this attitude like everybody's against me. And I know, where it's, so I know, funny, man. I know where it's coming from, Jay. And it's like everybody's yep. against me. The series against me. You, you can't be against everyone. Okay. The series doesn't care. They're not picking and choosing you as a team or someone as a rider and saying, I want to, but this is the way it's always been. It's always been like that when they were tire wars. Well, this person can pick the tire. Yeah, but she dub, but she dub. It's, it, it goes back to the nineties when you go and explain your narrative to whoever you think will listen and they do not listen or they go, well, listen, this is the way it is now. All of a sudden they're against you. That's the whole That's thing. It. And it's, but here's the reality. You can't do it. You're getting beat. Figure out how to get unbeat. Figure out how to beat other people. Yeah, and it's a, it goes back to again to where we look back at even two years ago when you know um, the press conference at the Ridge where STK was like the commentators aren't talking about it. My job is to go in there and commentate a race. It's not about what the rules are or what I think should be this or should be that. Like right now, I'm looking at a Ducati winning everything. So is it be fair for me to say they've got to dumb down the Ducati because they've got a great rider and a great team? You got to dumb down the bike so everybody else has a chance. That's not my that's not what I'm supposed to do. Nope. They've got a guy in Josh Heron right now that is experienced. He's a veteran of the class. Uh, he's a veteran of racing. He, dude, honestly, Greg, he rides really, really well. He like does. Josh Heron, right? He's, and he's never so won the good. Super Sport Championship. And what you think because people are younger than you that he doesn't deserve a shot? You know, you tip of the cap to the team for reaching out and hiring the guy. 
Like, Listen, it's the same argument that we hear right now with the guy leading the Junior Cup Championship, and we're going to go right into that. Cody Wyman had a huge weekend this weekend at Laguna Seca, and the reason why there was five people coming into this championship this weekend all had a shot. Everybody was close. The racing's been tight. Cody Wyman is is the veteran of this class. He's the elder statesman of this class. You're not going to find a better guy, a better dude. You're not going to find a guy who will help his competitors probably just as much as he wants to beat him. I have talked to a lot of the Junior Cup kids, and it's just literally come up in conversation. All of them, all of them like Cody in the class. They do. Cody Wyman ends up finishing second on race one, wins race two, G-Dub, to really give himself that weekend that you needed to have to do well uh, moving forward, okay? So on the first day, Joe LaMondre Jr., who'd never been to Laguna Seca before, did a, a really a really great job. He goes on and wins a red flag interrupted race over Cody Wyman and Bickney's with Tal, Dreyer, Medina, Owen Williams, Enriquez, uh, Rivera, and Nichols rounding out your top 10. We talk about the red flag, Greg. And that was race again, two. Red flag Matt, was race two. Race one wasn't red race, flag. Ra- yeah, race one was red flagged. Oh, you mean because at the end? Their, at the end, they went eleven you, laps you, instead of thirteen or whatever. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Can I finish? Are you going to just yeah, keep no, spouting? No, I, I, I'm sorry. Yeah. Are you? You know what? You know what? You know what I mean? Like I'd be getting called derogatory names right now if this was on the other foot. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> believe me, this is the we podcast saw K- that ends that ends our my relationship with anybody in the super sport paddock because I'm tired of listening to everyone whine. I'm glad I'm not in the paddock having to listen to it. So, um, anyways, regardless. Talking about Junior Cup. Let's get back on point. Max Van and Kaylee Yako have got together going into turn five. And I've looked at that enough. And you can see plain and simple what happened. Essentially, they kind of got together. And it looks like Max Van's brake guard kind of hooked on to Kayla's clutch lever guard or her grip or something. Because when he tried to kind of pull away uh, and get away from the situation, it pulled both riders down. And Kayla, unfortunately, took the... The worst end of that, which I hate. I, you know, I saw you talking to her at the end of the day on Sunday, and I went up to you guys, and I'm like, "Look, it's going to change. Your luck will change. It's just right now, we've got a little bit of a, a weird little black cloud where she's not doing anything wrong. She's doing everything right. It's, it, and I don't think that Max did anything wrong in that case either. 100% don't think so. I just think it's a racing incident. And Greg, how many times have you and I gone to get off the air after Junior Cup, looked at each other, and gone, man? Like nothing really ever happens. Like the racing just looks so tight and so hard up at the front, but they all seem to finish every single time. I mean, I remember Gus Rodeo last year clipping the back of somebody coming to the line. I can't remember who it was um, at the Ridge. Do you remember that? When Gus kind of clipped the back of somebody, almost felt, and it's like, man, everybody's going for that same piece of pavement. But in the first race, Gus Rodeo tipped off, which is a bummer. He was leading our points coming in. So Gus Rodeo, uh, he did pick it up and finish 11th, so that kind of helped him. But Max Van and Kayla didn't score any points. In race two, Cody Wyman beats Gus Rodeo. Lanuza, Daniel Lanuza, who uh, did a, a really great job. He's from up northern California. Didn't really know who he was, and I'm, I'm hoping that we get to see more of him. Hayden Bickney's follows his third place up on day one with a fourth place on day two. Thal, Vandebrock, Chase Black, Owen Williams. Kayla ended up ending – she ended up ninth, Greg, because – and and tenth was Rivera. Man, Lamondre Jr. on the last lap looked like he was trying to position himself to maybe try to draft past Cody. Um, 
he wanted to try to get a good run out of turn three, ended up high-siding himself out of turn three. And it kind of split everybody up. And, and Kayla had to take evasive action, uh, as did Max Van. They both got kind of run off the racetrack um, into the dirt. So that's why they ended up finishing a little further back. But Cody Wyman ends up winning by one and a half seconds over Gus Rodeo. So it was a nice rebound for him and Lanuza. So this championship now, when you look at it, is – I'm going to pull it up, G-Dub. I can. I it's got uh, it. 166 to 148. So he's got an 18. He's got an 18 point lead over Gus Rodeo. Lamondre Jr. is a further two points back. So you got three riders still within 20 points. Kayla, unfortunately, came into this race. I can't remember what she was back. I want to say 40 or seven. I thought she was seven points back coming in, but now she's 44 points back leaving. So, um, you know, it's gonna, but in this class, it can change every single week, can't it? Well, that, the, the thing about this class is you have Cody Wyman, Gus Rodeo, LaMondre, Kayla, Max Van, Aiden Tao can stick his nose up in there. So can Avery Dreyer and now Hayden Bickness, yep. who gets the first podium, right? And then we've seen some some other riders. Um, Levy Batty, I think, can be in the mix if, if he's here. He wasn't here this weekend. So the thing that's exciting about that class is it it's all about that race strategy and sometimes a little bit of luck because there seems to be five people that can go to the line, maybe even six that can go to the line. And I don't see that really changing in the next couple of racetracks that we have. So that's where you get those big point shifts as well. And I know that Kayla, you know, in talking with her Sunday night, she was, you know, talking a little bit about the championship and that she was further back in the championship and, you know, that it would, it might be over for her and all that stuff. And, you know, I don't know if it was the right advice to give, but I mean, you know, my advice to Kayla was, you know, who cares about what Cody's doing? You're fourth in the championship. Just look at what third is. Go get third in the championship first. You know, it's, keep grinding. You got to just keep grinding. Keep it grinding. Out. You got to keep grinding it out. And she will. You know, what's really funny though is is that Owen Williams was there, and Owen had had a good race weekend. Um, and Owen ended up finishing eighth, and and he Kayla was like two seconds behind him. Mm-hmm. And it was after she ran off the track and she got sideswiped and I don't I can't remember by who it was, but she got sideswiped in the dirt and it broke like some of her foot peg off. So she would, she didn't have a hundred percent complete motorcycle. Right. And Owen walks up yeah. and, and I was like, so Owen, where'd you finish? She's like eighth. And I'm like, Kayla, you, and I'm like, oh, all right. So Owen, you beat her. And dude, as funny as Kayla is, she cracked me up. I, I like could not stop laughing because she's like, she goes, Owen, how could you? How could you beat a girl? And oh my God, dude, I started crushing her. I'm like, you can't pull out the girl card. I'm like, you're missing. I'm a competitor. I just want to be considered a competitor. And she was laughing. And Owen was just looking at both of us like we were nuts. And Owen, and I said, Owen, don't listen to her, man. She's just, she's just busting stones. So great. But so, so it was good that she had some perspective. The thing with Kayla is she's just, and Jason, you can relate this, relate to this. Mentally, it's wearing on Kayla a little bit because she's just not healthy. You know, she, she got her shoulder hurt, her knees not hurt, and she was like, I just want to race healthy. And I think that she's a little concerned about the future in terms of how things are going to go with surgery after Barber on her knee where she has the MCL, ACL thing, but she's going to be fine. I think, yeah. Co- like you said, Cody Wyman had a good weekend in the championship. I think the biggest story for me, because Gus Rodeo has been there, Max Fan has been there, Kayla's been there. LaMondre really seems like he's the rider that's made a big step in the last couple races. Like he's yeah. convinced that he belongs there now, you know. Yeah, and he's healthy. Yeah, he's, and so I think yeah. he's going to be. Well, he's, he's hurting right now. He's got an he's got an ankle that he's got to he's got to get sorted before Brainerd. He's got a. I'd say it's probably a pretty badly sprained ankle. Oh, okay. Um, for Joe from that accident, 
Um, but he is very, very focused. He's, you know, I, it's, he, like I said, he, hardworking kid. He's not, you know, he's got to yeah, get up. He's got to go to work. He gets up yep. at 5 a.m. He does the construction. He's home. You heard about, you're saying on the, on the broadcast. And then it's about school and racing after that. So, I mean, you know, and, and, and Max Van's the same way, by the way. He doesn't get a free ride. He's got to work at sportbiketrackier.com. I mean, he's in there fulfilling orders and doing all this stuff, too. So, you know, Correct. It, it, you Correct. have a good group of hardworking young riders. And I mean that young. Cody's young to me, right? Like he's 28 years yep. old. You're a dinosaur, bro, compared to that guy. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, so that, that's what yeah. I'm saying. I, I like the class. Anything can happen. The championship is not wrapped up by any stretch we've seen i have to go back and look i think i'll dig up the stat of how many different um uh racers we've had at the top of the leaderboard this season because i know you know max was up there gus was up there cody so it's at least three uh yeah yeah changes no, for the championship it's, it's gonna that chip that championship will keep coming down to the wire and um you know again great job from cody took advantage of everybody having the incidents goes two one on the weekend He's rocking on. Let's go to Stock 1000 G-Dub, where Corey Alexander, pretty dominant performance by him. He ends up winning by almost five seconds over Bryce Prince, who in himself is very, very impressive. Guy builds all his own stuff, does all his own things, works really, really hard. It's good to see Bryce. I wish we could get him to more races. Um, he holds off Hayden Gillum. Hayden Gillum was not stoked on the podium if you watched him. He got a bad start. We all know how good, how great of a rider Hayden is. He ends up third. Travis Wyman fourth over Ezra Bobier. Really good to see him get that top five finish. He was six seconds up the road from Brandon Posh, who I thought had his best race weekend of the year in the sense of that stock thousand category. Debrino uh, ends up seventh over Danilo Lewis, who we've not talked about at all this year. Uh, he ended up getting his best result. Jeremy Coffey, really nice run in ninth. Nolan Lampkin, tenth. Dunham, Butler, Jack Back, and local guy. Uh, ends up 13th. Good to see Jack do so well. Brian Burke and another one, Anthony Norton, who did his second Moto America race. Anthony never been to Laguna Seca, so for him to to do that well, I thought was was good. When you look at this class right now, Greg, I think that right now, if you were to, you know, if we were in a, if we were in the same place that we were, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Probably the number one rider right now people would keep their eye on for a superbike ride at this stage has to be Corey, I would guess. Corey has, obviously, that that's his third win in a row, isn't it? Didn't he win both races at the Ridge? Fourth, fourth win both in a races. row. Fourth in a fourth row. Fourth win in a row. I'm Corey pretty sure because... On, I didn't think of... Yeah, fourth win in a row. Because someone mentioned that in, the, in, in the Is that right? Yep. I think maybe Greg Kramer or whoever's interviewing him, and he said four. And he's right. So, obviously, he's right. It's his deal. He won Road America, both at the Ridge, and now Monterey. Well, Corey, if when he finishes, he hasn't not won a race. That's it. Every time it's he finishes, win, it's he win wins. It's win or nothing. <laughs> win or nothing. Yeah. So, you know, we had we saw him have a VIR race where he crashed so big in practice that he never actually got to line up. So he didn't – he has two complete no-point finishes. Oh, that's where it is. Yeah, he good set, point. Oh. Yep, at VIR. So he's 17 points up now on Hayden Gillum, who will fight to the end. We know that for fact. Travis Wyman is 22 points behind his teammate at at this point with Debrino and Jeff May. So, you know, when you look at it, uh, the development of this BMW continues. I feel like, you know, going into the next round, uh, last year Brainerd was the toughest race for Corey. But I feel he's got, he's got I'm not going to say a better team. He's got a lot of the same guys. He's got a great team. He's got a great, great team with him. Um, but he's got a better motorcycle underneath him. 
a bike that isn't constantly having problems in every practice sessions with with just bullshit little things happening that they couldn't get fixed. And now he's he's getting a bunch of laps. And I think as a racer, as a rider, you know, there's nothing worse than going into these races, G-Dub, not really knowing what you have underneath you and having things failing on you during the races. And Corey was fighting all kinds of problems last year. Now he's got a bike underneath him that seems a lot more reliable. He's got a the Titlers team has done a really nice job in, in both sides of the paddock there with Superbike and Stock Thousand. And he's, he's just kind of one of those guys on a little bit of a roll right now where if he gets out front, he kind of does the Gagne thing. He puts his head down as hard as he can, and and he was able to do that at this race. Every race he started, he's he won. And <laughs> I think his fastest lap of the race was eight-tenths of a second faster than anybody else's. You're right. Tip of the yes. cap to Debrino, though, because I play video games with him. Fourth fastest lap mm-hmm. in Stock Thousand. It's a jo- it's yeah, a it's Debrino, a running joke. It's a running joke between us. Unfortunately for Debrino, yeah. Jay, bike's done, so he might yeah, not be that able to, bike I think is toast. Yeah, well, you know he, what happened? He shouldn't have finished where he finished in this race because he was like fifth, I think. And then when he came by for the white flag, GW, I'm not sure where you were for this race. I was on start. I was on the finish. Uh, no, start straight. I don't remember. And when he came by on the last lap, um, you could hear the bike off sound. It was like you could tell oh. it was. You know what there was something going being? on and. It, the, uh-huh. the the foam in the tank, so they fill the the bikes up with foam for sloshing, right? So to yes. the fuel, yeah, fuel cell it foam, deteriorated, yeah. and the fuel pump was sucking in the foam. Oh god, that's what it was. Huh? So it leaned. I it saw leaned that he was. The, yeah. yeah, it leaned the bike out, yeah, so the bike was running hot. Like the temperature of the water was okay, but the but the 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 whatever. Anyway, so and then in Superbike on Sunday, I think it finally gave up the ghost. So they're gonna they're he's done, but I know that he reached out. Um, online i think on facebook yesterday and some people have been calling so i think he's he deserves like yeah, deserve it man. isn't he i think he's fourth in the yeah, championship but he deserves hey that guy rides anything and everything good True. and he deserves to be in the championship yeah. and yeah i mean he's a grinder and i i respect him a lot for that so um these guys will be rolling on to brainerd let's go to twins yes where where cory ventura finally gets his win first win of the year for cory ventura um, on his MP3 racing R7 with Blake Davis second, Caleb DeCarroll, who, man, I thought he was going to win this race, even though there were some big problems in front of him that we'll talk about in a minute. Glotti ends up fourth over Rispoli. Maziato, Bryce Prince, uh, who was doing double duty on, on both bikes that he had built this weekend. Cody Wyman ends up eighth over um, Mazzuli. Teague Hobbs, Hanawa, McDonald Henning, Knowles, and Ryan Smith, by the way, R. Henning's bike and his whole program. He rode for Team Yosh this week, R7. Yosh. Wow, looked sick. But Corey Ventura finally gets a first win. He was doing double duty this weekend. So he got to ride the M4 bike that uh, was vacated by Sam Lockoff. So we hope Sam's continuing to get better. But Corey wins. It was a it was a great race. And the thing I would take away from it the most, um, did you get to watch the race? I only saw like the last two laps up front. And it was just... the between Ventura Davis and DeCarroll, it was sick. It was really good racing. Yeah, well, so the the thing I'm going to take away from this race, Greg, it looked like a race from like the early 2000s to late 90s because guys were high-siding themselves and wadding themselves. And it was a couple big ones. Hayden Schultz had a really big high side out of turn two, and it split a field of about eight riders together. DeCarroll was way off the track, as was Rispoli and I think Bangladi. And it split a race of eight up at the front to essentially two. And Corey Ventura and Blake Davis had got away. I think Blake had actually won this race before in the past. And so uh, even more 
crazy is that Jody Berry, who had had this gigantic points lead, the West Coast wasn't good to Jody. Uh, he ended up um, essentially the last two races scoring 13 points. He had won four races on the trot, and the Ridge wasn't good to him, and Laguna wasn't particularly good to him. And his race goes, his points lead has dwindled all the way down to four points over Maziata, who, when you when you look at what Anthony's doing, he's just kind of grinding these up, these races out. The double victory for Maziato up at the Ridge is really a big key. He scored 50 that weekend, and the points leader scored 13. So when you look at it, the last two races, or last three races, Greg, Maziato has scored 60 points to the 13 of Jody Berry. So that championship's going to come down again to the wire. Blake Davis is third, Schultz fourth. Defending champion DeCrail is a little bit far back, 48 points. Gonna be a good championship. Let's move on to mm, let's go King of the Bag. No, yeah, we just did twins. We're gonna go King of the Baggers. Eight lap race in that one. Just one on Sunday, midday. There were tons of Harley Davidsons at the racetrack, Jay. Brings in a lot of people. They're worse. Yeah. Yeah. The Wyman brothers go one two. Kyle wins by three seconds over Travis. Rispoli on the Vance and Hines bike, five point six back. So Harley Davidson locks out Indian, then Tyler O'Hara, Jeremy McWilliams, Bobby Fong in sixth, Taylor Knapp, Frankie Garcia, Danny Eslick in ninth, Andrew Lee in tenth, Patricia Fernandez, Zach Nation, and Eric Stahl. So 13 finished in that race. Jay, the thing is, Tyler O'Hara still leads the championship now by a single point. He's got 87. Kyle Wyman and Travis Wyman are tied at 86 behind him crazy it's like the lawrence brothers in motocross right now those guys are battling each other and i was making the joke of like what's going to happen when you know kyle taps the back of the bag there of old travis somewhere these guys got two <laughs> rounds to go or mm-hmm. vice versa you know travis travis tested really well from what i understand at brainerd as well and we know indian tested there i mean look when you look at this race the the harleys get into the corners better in my opinion um tyler just looked like he was struggling getting that bike slowed down and the thing was tying itself in knots going into the turns especially the corkscrew and it was just a small mistake that allowed kyle to get through on travis going down into turn 10 so i don't know man when you start to look at things there and you look at that that class and you look at that series it is pretty good we got a big championship points uh, battle going on. Jeremy McWilliams is only nine points out of the championship, right? Raspoli's 28 points out. So uh, the top five right now are separated, our top four are separated by nine points. And it's going to be a battle when we get to Brainerd. I can't imagine. Uh, we didn't get to see those guys race there last year. So, you know, we'll see how that ends up. But it's going to be fun to watch. In the, we had Super Hooligans too. And I believe this championship is wrapped up. Uh, Tyler O'Hara went on to win this race and the championship both with McWilliams, his teammate second, Corey West. Good to see Corey do a nice job. He ran with the leaders for most of the race before just, just falling back a little bit. He almost got into the clutches there of both Debrino and Chris Fillmore. They end up, uh, fourth and fifth, but the Indians went one, two, three KTM ends up fourth and fifth. Josh Baird, Nate Kern, Alex Taylor, Patricia Fernandez, and Cole King rounded out your top 10. Dude, the bike that we got to talk about was Stefano Mesa. I didn't get to watch anything <laughs> leading into this race. 
but he was on an e-bike and the acceleration of that bike off the line. I was actually standing on the grid with, uh, or standing on the line with, with, uh, T Dan, uh, Moto America's technical director. Um, and what was funny was, uh, he's like, Jay, I'm not kidding you watch this thing accelerate. And the thing, when Mesa took off on that bike, it, it accelerated so fast, went by right by everybody. He led going up over the top of the hill in turn one, but it was, it was pretty interesting to, uh, to watch that. So, the final point standings, G-Dub, in that championship was O'Hara first. Corey West ends up second, so that's good. Uh, Debrino ends up third. Uh, so those are your top three for the hooligans. And it'll be interesting way, to see where that class goes last look, year. Pretty big grid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Decent grid. Th- you know, 38 people total for the year. If you look at Corey West and Andy Debrino, they, they ended up the season 74 points, okay? And you go, normally what you do is you go tie for who has most wins, then if that's equal, you go tie for who has most second places. They had equal yeah. equal finishes to score the same amount of oh, points. They I each had that. a win, they each wow. had second, they each had third, and they each had a fourth. But Corey West gets credited with second place because he got the higher finish at the last race of the year. He got the Interesting. You know, kind of like Moto and Pro Moto. It's like if you go one, it's better to go 2-1 than 1-2 kind of thing. Um, Can't we just line them up for a one lap dash? That's one what lap I was dash, boys. Because like, I, as soon as the race is over, hey, you guys are tied in points, and our point, hey, just go line up real quick while the podium's getting started. You know, yeah, we're gonna, yeah. Corey, you can come back to the podium. No, it'd be funny, anyways. But yeah, it'll yeah. be interesting to see where that class goes. There was a lot of bikes, a lot of different bikes, uh, a lot of different looks. I know that there's there's, there's some, a future more, for hooligans, without question. People, that I are agree. In the class and more manufacturers are very interested in coming into hooligans agree, as well. Yeah, so Roland yeah. Sands has his hands full. Yeah, yeah, I agree. He does have his hands full. I think it's going to be interesting to see where that goes. G-Dub this weekend. Uh, oh, this is your thing, but I'm stealing it from Doesn't you. Matter. Like I World stole that call. It's stole fine. that call from you in the last lap of How the race. Um, I <laughs> yeah. know. About uh, man, Donington Park. Thank goodness. We got some racing going on this weekend. It is going to be a perfect weekend. I'm home. I get to watch the British Open, and I get to watch Donington World Superbike. So I am pumped on that. Um, I thought you were supposed to be over there to get that signed hat for the person who won the. I'm get. I will be getting that hat. Don't you worry about that. You just worry about your own program. I got that sorted. Um, Yeah. Okay. This guy leaves his microphone and passing a truck, but we're sure that you have the hat sorted to take to the UK. Got it. it Could be. I can. I can be a little unreliable (laughs) with certain. I'll help a little bit. I'll help a little. It usually affects me more than anybody else. That's true. So. World Superbike's going to give you at Donington. Should be an interesting weekend. Haven't looked up the weather. Um, oh, yeah, well. I know that I know that Johnny Ray and uh, and Alex just got back from testing at Suzuka. They've been testing pretty hard over there in the heat of Japan. So they've been on bikes, which is good. Batista's leading this championship, obviously. It's going to be an interesting weekend to see if uh, – does the weather look good? Yeah, weather – I up. mean, you're talking I, – I don't know C, though. I'd have to change – but – you're looking at uh, sunshine Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Twenty two as a high Friday. Twenty five yeah. C, and twenty nine yeah, on pretty Sunday. Warm. Twenty nine is getting pretty warm, warm, especially for the UK. But yeah, it's, that's but warm. as long that's as the sun's shining and it's nice and I mean that place is wicked actually in the wet, isn't it? But don't forget, yeah, Donington's it, also the place where Garrett Gerloff had his last podium. So that's yeah. why people are kind of talking. Can this be? You know, it was his first time to Donington Gerloff. He did really well. He put on the box and race i think he three. led one of the sessions early i think i think he right. led like one of the sessions like i think he led like first practice or something like that going in so 
into the weekend. So let's hope Garrett can get it together. Don't have a lot to say about this because I just want to watch the races this weekend and see where things go. I think that there's still going to be some moves as far as riders and things uh, going into next year, even though we know where most people are going to be. There's still some questions to be answered. Who might get that second seat at Ducati? Is Honda going to stay the same? Um, so there are still – we know that Cowie and, and, and Yamaha are going to be the same. Um, but there are some other question marks going in there uh, as far as that goes. But World Superbike back and going. I think Moto's involved this next week. I did watch some motocross. Just got done watching it, G-Dub. Uh, is there anything you wanted to add on World Superbike? No, we're good. Yeah, we're good. Uh, motocross, Eli Tomac is just a beast, dude. I, I just watched Southwick, and the guy is like – the track is so rough, I wouldn't even want to walk it, let alone ride it. And it's – it's the dude's just too gnarly. I, there's nobody – I don't think there's anybody that's going to beat him this year, even though Sexton, I think, still has the points lead by one. Sexton is gnarly as well. He's just got to get a start. But Tomac, man, when he just gets into that grind mode, it's just unreal watching him and how hard he – he he just hammers things and uh, and in the and in the 250 class, um, Jet Lawrence goes one one and wins the overall there as well. Uh, dominating performance from him. His brother had str- struggled with starts and a couple crashes and this and that. Joe Shimoda's the guy though. I think that um, he's got to get starts. He's kind of like if he can get some starts. He can run. Uh, Kitchen ran up front with Jet in the second motor for a while, which is good. He was actually pressuring him pretty solid. But right now, Tomac and Jet Lawrence are leading those championships. I think they're racing this next weekend as well. I think they're going to Minnesota. I think that's where they end up this next weekend. They go to Minnesota. So that's it, G-Dub. Then say goodbye, Jason. Hey, everybody. Enjoy your weekends and enjoy World Superbike. Greg and I will be back next week with a wrap-up of everything later.